Hello and welcome to the Working Tools Masonic Podcast, where today we'll be interviewing Most Worshipful Brother Julius Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions and thoughts are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions, either here on YouTube or on our Facebook page. We'd also appreciate a thumbs up and especially any comments on our videos. I'm Very Worshipful Brother Matthew Apple, along with Very Worshipful Brother David Colbeth. We're uh, past district deputies here in the Grand Lodge of Washington, and Worshipful Brother Stephen Chung from the Grand Lodge of British Columbia in the Yukon. And we have with us this evening uh, our very special guest, Most Worshipful Brother Julius Brown, who is the past Grand Master of the Most Worshipful Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Free and Accepted Masons of Washington and Jurisdiction. Most Worshipful Sir, welcome. Thank it's, you for uh, the... Oh, that's pausy, right? Yeah, no, go ahead. It's... Oh, no, thank you for the invitation. Uh, I look forward to having this conversation. Well, it's, and we're, we're glad to have you here. Um, so I guess our, our basic question that we start off with most folks is, how did you get into masonry? How did, where, did, where did your Masonic career begin? My Masonic career began in uh, Philadelphia. Um, as a young man, I, I watched my father and my uncles and all the deacons of the church uh, take off after church sometimes with their black briefcases and always wonder what they were doing. And uh, so I grew up in a Masonic family. Uh, and as I grew older, uh, I joined the army. Uh, before I joined the army, let me backtrack a little bit. I joined Masonry uh, as soon as I could. Um, I went to my father and he told me I wasn't ready. <laughs> I think because he knew me better than anyone else. And, um, so I, I've kind of finagled things, and uh, after I got married, I went to my, my father-in-law, and I told my father-in-law, and so he sponsored me. Um, of course, my father did uh, acknowledge the fact that by then I was ready. <laughs> so um, I became a third-degree Mason in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, in the Boys Worshipful Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. And then uh, a few years later, I joined the Army, um, went into the you know, traveling. And uh, when I got to Germany, stationed in Germany, uh, there was a Prince Hall uh, Lodge in the area in Nuremberg, and uh, they were under Washington jurisdiction. And at the time, I was still pretty much fresh Mason, and I didn't know too much, and they kept asking me to, to demit. And I kept saying, I'm never leaving my mother lodge. I'm, you know, I was all gung-ho about staying a Pennsylvania Mason. And I called my father-in-law one day and I said, hey, you know, these guys over here keep trying to get me to admit. And he said, well, um, you plan on coming back home to Philly soon? I was like, well, you know, after my, you know, after my travels are over, eventually he was like, well, then go ahead and admit. You come back to Philly, you can admit back into Pennsylvania. So <laughs> he said, you, wherever you go, you serve under that Prince Hall, under that Grand Lodge pretty much anyway. Uh, so you might as well go ahead. And so ironically, I admitted into Washington jurisdiction while I was in Germany. Um, 
finished my my army career and got well before I finished my career, I got sent here to Washington, and so it was it, it just uh, came full circle. So um, my wife decided that she didn't want to go back to Philadelphia to live, and I decided, well, I like it here in Washington too, and so. Um, I was already a Washington Mason, and we had did a lot of work in Germany, and we had did a lot of work when we first got here. So it was just, uh, it was fate, I guess. Fate got yeah, us here. Know. Yeah. My wife's family's from Harrisburg, so I'm. Oh yeah, know that area well. My sister, my oldest sister, used to teach in Harrisburg. Her first teaching. I uh, and, and uh, I similarly ended up here because the, the Navy brought me out here, and ah, and cool. uh, we decided that it was. 2,700 miles from my in-laws, so it seemed like a good place to stay. That's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they don't listen to the podcast, so I'm safe in saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we traveled, you know, before the uh, the uh, epidemic, we traveled home at least once or twice a year, you know, just family, but uh, we love it here. Yep. It's a great, great corner of the world. Yes. If I can ask, uh, what did you do in the Army? I was logistics, automated logistics, and uh, um yeah, had it was it was uh, interesting. I kind of was I was a main uh, COBOL programmer and computer operator before I joined the army, and then I realized that we were going from mainframe computing to microcomputing, and I had to make some kind of transition. And so I joined the army to make that transition. And when I got out, um, the army Microsoft was just pretty much taking off, and so it was perfect timing. Excellent. Well, COBOL programmers are, we used to be in high demand, but nobody, yeah. nobody, nobody knew how to do that stuff. Yeah. State of Washington are still looking for COBOL programmers. Still got databases they need to transition. That's crazy. I remember a guy at the company I used to work for, he, he basically could write his own ticket because he was the only one that yeah. knew how to pro- program COBOL. Yeah. 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 I don't forgot more than I learned. <laughs> yeah, the- Legacy systems are powerful in, in computing and Freemasonry, apparently. Oh, especially in, uh, <laughs> in the year when the year 2000 rolled around. We were in high demand back then. So when you transitioned out of the military, did you have a second career like most people, many people do, or did you just enjoy your... Well, I didn't do a, um, I didn't do a, a, a full 20-year uh, stint. I, just, uh, I did six years, and then when I got out, I, did, um, I went back to work as a contractor and then became a government service employee. So I went back to work as a GS-11 computer specialist for Fort Lewis at the time, oh, um, nice. w- working in the uh, public works department. And then, uh, then Intel built that site down in DuPont and started offering me waving a whole lot of dollars across. So I, I, I hopped the fence and went to Intel. <laughs> then I went to Microsoft and I got tired of making that drive all the way to Redmond. The money was great, but the drive was, it was four hours a day. You can't get back in your life. And so uh, I ended up, you know, taking some uh, closer positions and then decided to start doing things on my own. And uh, so that's kind of what I do now. I contract. I'm a, I'm a contractor. <laughs> so, I, 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 you know, I, I, right now I'm contracted with Milgard Windows in Fife and doing a little database stuff here and there. And it's, it's been interesting. Excellent. They, they usually say the grass isn't always greener on their side, but I imagine from JBLM to Intel, it was much greener. You know, over the years now, I wish I had stayed because I'm, you know, I could have written my ticket by now. Uh, I'd be, my wife is a 30 year government service employee, 28 uh, year government service employee. And so she's, she, she loves it. She don't feel like she wasn't ready to retire yet. 
and she still likes self and soldiers. So. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm not retired military, but I was in the army as well. So I'm familiar yes. with JBLM before it was JBLM. Yeah. yeah they, they, Fort Lewis to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They threatened to send us to Germany, but uh, never, never ended up doing that. I spent all my time at Fort Lewis. Oh yeah. 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 So I, I was born and raised in Wisconsin, so I'm, I'm technically a Washington transplant anyway, but I was here for many years before I went in the military. And then they said, Oh, there's, you're not going to come back to Washington. And sure enough, <laughs> right down the street. <laughs> Yeah. So how did, what is, what's your succession, if you will, from, uh, from where you were becoming a Mason and through the army and then back to Washington into becoming uh, grandmaster. So, uh, while I was in Germany, um, we were stationed in uh, Swabish hall, which is South of Nuremberg, Albron. And so Nuremberg was our closest, uh, lodge. So the lodge that I admitted to was in Nuremberg, which was like an hour to two hours, hour, 45 minutes to two hours away, you know, but on the autobahn, it really doesn't matter. So, um, we, we, we created, we, we took a lot of our guys from, um, Swabish Hall up to Nuremberg, um, for their degree work. And once we had enough master masons, we petitioned for a, um, study hall a study hall and then we went from the study hall to actually initiating a lodge and standing up a lodge over there and on our post and so the the process of creating a study hall and creating a lodge and then uh, i was the first junior warden in the lodge and uh just moving around from there i ended up becoming the worship master but when I became the worship master, they decided to close the post. That's when they was closing posts in Europe. So basically the only thing I had to do was, you know, gather up all the documentation and all that, all those t- documents I typed on a, uh, on a, uh, 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 word processor. Cause we didn't have computers at the time. I mean, not, you know, home computers. So I, it was a word processor. We typed all of the bylaws and everything, just doing all that, that whole process, um, you know, you get familiar with the code, you get familiar with the bylaws, you get familiar with everything it has. And uh, so when I came to Washington, um, you know, I have to go on a few other places. And I came to Washington, it was already ingrained. And so it was, you know, I got back into the lodge. <laughs> My platoon uh, sergeant was the, uh, he was the secretary, treasurer for um, Daniel Chappie James Lodge number 72, which is what was in Lakewood at the time. And um, he was he was like, oh, yeah, you're coming with me. <laughs> and so he dragged me to Daniel Chevy James, and I've been to Daniel Chevy James ever since. And uh, uh, just went from there. I had a very uh, successful Masonic uh, Worshipful Master um, tenure in 2004, 2005. I, over the years, the stateside lodges, because we have lodges in Europe, we have lodges in Japan, uh, Korea, Philippines. And so the stateside lodges had, had got into a, a funk where they didn't compete anymore, like with the overseas lodges who were just like knocking it out in community service and they were doing everything. And so the stateside lodges kind of like, oh, we can't compete with them guys. So it had been years since a stateside lodge had one lodge of the year. And so my first year, I said, nah, I don't believe in that. We can do it. You know, I was overseas lodge in Europe, so <laughs> I know what they do. We could do the same thing here. And that's what we did. So uh, we just got into the community, started serving our community, got involved with the police in Lakewood. We got involved with the youth in Lakewood. And 
before you know it, we were large of the year and everyone was like, how'd you do that? <laughs> and so that kind of catapulted me into, you know, it's one of those situations when you do a good job, they give you more work. So yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> Um, then from there, uh, district deputy came a few years after I got out of the seat. Um, I think I was pretty successful at district deputy uh, both years, one of my largest one, uh, larger the year. Um, uh, then I threw my hat in for a grand lecturer, everyone who pretty much knew who I was because uh, during my time as worship master, and this was in 2004, I created a, a website for my lodge and Everyone, you know, the Grand, the Grand Lodge had a website at the time, but it wasn't really, really getting any traffic. And my my uh, website started getting picking up traffic. And so I was getting people's email and communicating with brothers overseas who, you know, who didn't have communication. And so everybody knew who I was anyway. And then, you know, just traveling from there and conversing with brothers and working and working my way through these years. And somehow I got stuck in a, somebody threw my name in a hat. <laughs> And I got I got nominated for grand lecture, and then just from there, uh, it's kind of grand lecture is kind of our starting point. Uh, you go grand junior, uh, after that senior, uh, deputy grand, and then grandmaster. So, uh, 2016, uh, just so happened that my wife had been traveling on in the Eastern Stars, which is our our order. You know, guys know what the Eastern Stars are. So, um, she had been traveling. Her trajectory. Uh, in, in, in the grand chapter was going to put her in the seat a year before I went in. And it just so happened out of, I don't know, I guess it was meant to happen, but we both went into the seat at the same time. So we, she was the grand worthy matron. And I was the grand master of, uh, of Washington jurisdiction. And, and that was only the second time in Prince Hall history in Washington that it, uh, it had ever happened. So did you see each other that year? Yes, we saw a lot of each other that year. <laughs> you know, of course, she had to go to my events and I had to go to her events. So we were together all the time. Um, the thing is, uh, in our Grand Lodge, uh, in, uh, our Grand Lodge building is in Seattle. So um, they're, they're, they they have an office there as well. So she had her staff meetings the same day I had my staff meetings. <laughs> so it just worked out that way. That it, Everything was very, very, you know, we, we were together all the time. And ironically, that's how it's always been anyway, because I met my wife. She was my boss. She gave me my first computer job in Philadelphia. We were working that's for the Colonial Penn Insurance Company, and uh, I was her PCE liaison. She, she hired me, and she told, uh, she told her manager that uh, when she hired me, she said, that's going to be my husband. So, <laughs> Well, she picked it right away, so that's awesome. Yeah, you so know. She still thinks you, you she's need boss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's pretty cool to have a, a spouse that went through that at the same time. Yeah, and it, that must have been uh, quite the experience. You know, our, our children are grown, so it was. You know, it, it was. It had got to a point once we had got our kids to the teenage years, and you know, the oldest one had a car, and you know, they were getting into the only things and they didn't really want us around anyway. We looked at each other and like, well, we might as well get, get back busy. <laughs> and we did. She went back into her chapter meetings and I went back into my lodge meetings and, you know, we just grew from there. Uh, you know, Masonry is, is in love of my heart. In fact, like I said, her father was my sponsor and I was raised, the night I was raised was our first uh, anniversary. 
Yeah. Now there's some serious. My first wedding anniversary. Right? I was raised to uh, Master Mason. At least you knew she, where you were. Exactly. <laughs> it was no question. <laughs> was your father-in-law involved in that process? Oh yes, yeah. yes. My father-in-law, my father was. They raised me. My That's awesome. One had one hand, the other had the other. <laughs> That's, That's so cool. pretty cool. That's that, that that doesn't happen too often, right? No. No, no, um, no. So um. You know that that uh, there was that video I watched of you as an interview uh, that you did somewhere, and and this you were saying so there's there's some distinct differences you were saying between Prince Hall Freemasonry and what's known to be as traditional Freemasonry, right. um, and can you talk a little bit about that because I'm I'm kind of curious. Yeah, well the um, the distinct I, I there was a pre. Oper operation of me becoming a mason before I became a Prince Hall mason. Uh, when my father turned me down, I went found some guys and they said, "Oh yeah, we can get you into masonry." And they they took me to St. John's Lodge in Philadelphia and they made me a mason uh, six months and made me a mason. And then I went to my father and said, "Hey, I'm a mason now." And he said, well, "What lodge are you in?" And I told him St. John's. He said, "That's not a Prince Hall lodge." <laughs> And so I was like dumbfounded at the time. Like I did all this work. What are you talking about? So uh, when I talked to my father-in-law, he said that, um, you know, there, there's Prince Hall Grand Lodge. And he gave me the story. And so he said, well, we can heal you and make you a, uh, a Prince Hall Master Mason. And I said, no, nah, I don't want anybody to say I, I didn't get anything. And so I, I, I went through another six months to become a Master Mason in Prince Hall. Um, need, needless to say, I was so sharp um, in the Masonic work, of course, by that time that, um, uh, you know, I, I could really shine. Uh, so as far as ritualistically, there wasn't a lot of difference um, in the in the overall teaching, but uh, the concepts, the, 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 the uh, wording and the vernacular and certain things, there's, you know, certain differences. Um, in the way things are said and the way things are taught in the uh, four-letter um, Grand Lodge and the uh, ancient free accepted Masons and the free and accepted Masons, uh, Prince Hall affiliate. But it's it's not a, a overall lot of difference except for the fact that St. John's Grand Lodge never had a charter from the Grand Lodge of England, so they were not recognized. And so after my years of studying and, and and going and traveling and talking to Masons and, and better understanding what my father and my father-in-law was trying to explain to me, you know, now I understand. Uh, but again, ritualistically, uh, just some of the wording, you know, on the East coast where I come from in Pennsylvania, we use the uh, Duncan ritual with it's uh, phonetics really. Um, you know, the words are not spelt out and so forth. Um, and then when I came to uh, Washington jurisdiction, um, you know, we use different, uh, the uh, Nazadini and the words were spelled out and so forth and so on. So it, it's, it's, it's comparable. The only difference to me really, again, is the legitimacy of the history and recognition. Steve said something there and I, it's just always bugged me. I, I bug me isn't the right word. It's always struck me as odd. The, so I feel like there's a good way Maybe this isn't. Be, be prepared to edit this out, David. So there's a good way to say there, you're in a Prince Hall Lodge. Like it's a, it's a, 
you know, we can identify that. Mm-hmm. And then there's, so you're in the, the Prince Hall Lodge of Washington. And we are in the what Lodge of Washington? The the non-Prince Hall Lodge of Washington? The <laughs> is there a word for that? I, I don't know. Is we it, call it we call it mainstream. Um, we mainstream? would say you know the mainstream uh, uh, Grand Lodge of, of Washington. Um, okay, yeah, it just it strikes me as odd because like you have heard yeah. regular or whatever, and that doesn't yeah. that's just not right. And that's, that's, yeah. Prince Hall isn't irregular. It's just yeah. Anyway, yes. well, <laughs> like I said, yeah. That's always what I was curious is like, how, I mean, they, they, they say, well, this is a Prince Hall Lodge. And it's like, well, what makes them different than us? Like, why, why, you know, well, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's just that lineage of the history, um, uh, you know, the story behind uh, Prince Hall Lodges, Grand Lodges, and the fact that, um, you know, the 14 who created a, a Grand Lodge, um, with a charter from directly from England, which today is um, is believed to be the only original charter issued from the Grand Lodge of England, which is in the possession of the United States. So this is the supposedly the only charter that came from England uh, that is in the United States uh, that, that currently exists is, is the one for the Prince Hall Grand Lodge. And it resides in African Lodge in, in Massachusetts. So um, a lot of people, being from the East Coast, of course, we traveled to Boston and Massachusetts to see, you know, the history and the so forth and so on. And they've got it under, well, it's, it's not as, as guarded as the Mona Lisa, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty well kept. So, and that's, I mean, the two organizations grew up separately, essentially, because... Uh, so I can't think of a good way to say it other than the fact that mainstream lodges mainstream lodges wouldn't accept black members, right? I mean, that's uh, essentially well, what... So the, the, the mainstream lodge uh, created Prince Hall and several other um, service members. And in that process, they, um, they gave them the opportunity to point to... They were able to um, walking parades, um, they were able to assemble, um, they could bury their dead, but they didn't have the capacity to create new masons. And so the, that would mean that those those guys would have been the only ones who would have been considered masons. And so Prince Hall and, and the other guys, they, they, you know, got into their mind, well, we want to be able to create masons and do all the things that, that masons, all, you know, all of them. And so they charted the Grand Lodge of, of England, um, they, the first time they sent in um, 1784, they wrote a letter to the Grand Lodge um, and sent money and petition, and they never heard back. And so what it what it transpired was that the lodge that they had attached to that was here at the time that it made them masons, um, when they received the note, the letter and the petition or whatever, they they didn't they didn't carry it forward, and so. About three years later, um, they, when they hadn't heard back, uh, they, they, they did it again. But this time, they sent it with uh, Captain James Scott, who was the brother-in-law of the, uh, Governor John Hancock of Massachusetts. And he took the, he took the letter petition and the money, and he uh, delivered it. And at that point, that's when the uh, charter was, was given and brought back to America. And so once they had that charter, they were able to create more Masons. And so 
that denial of being able to process and, and of creating masons and so forth and so on created African lodge. And then just like in any situation where you have trouble, where people don't want to recognize you, you start your own thing and you, 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 you develop an allegiance to that from everything that's subordinate to that. And that's how it happened. Um, and the story, the history behind it is taught to every master mason that comes through in Prince Hall, um, you know, the history of Prince Hall and how it got started and so forth and so on. So uh, you develop that allegiance to it um, as an African-American. Uh, you, you understand, especially, you know, my generation and before the younger generation really don't have that understanding. But um, but, you know, we do. And um, over the years, I think it's, it's the walls have been uh, breaking. Uh, so uh, Prince Hall has never discriminated against anyone. We've we have members of all nationalities, uh, always have. Um, and, and just in certain situations, there are certain um, Grand Lodges who still don't recognize Prince Hall, mainstream Grand Lodges who don't recognize Prince Hall Grand Lodge. But you know, our charter came from England, so we recognize it. And if you look on the Grand Lodge of England webpage of, of Grand Lodges that they recognize, you'll see Prince Hall Grand Lodges. Yeah, I think we're I think we're somewhat hoping that our incoming Grand Master, uh, Deputy Grand Master Right Worshipful Cameron, I don't know if you if you happen to see his show, I'd, I'd recommend maybe taking a look at that. That's uh, he, he did a paper on the recognition process and his uh, his disappointment in the other Grand Lodges that don't recognize Prince Hall. And uh, it was, it was a powerful paper and powerful segment that we had on with him and really enjoyed that. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to asking lots of questions about the, some of the comments you made at study hall and the lodge of the year program and nomination yeah. process and <laughs> how you, how your deputy program works. I've got lots of questions for our next segment. So hopefully you'll be able to stick around with us. Sure. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I can tell you right now that it's generally the same as yours. <laughs> Just because I've done enough work and, and been enough uh, in enough Washington uh, lodges and uh, the Grand Lodge of Washington and so forth and so on, it, there's not a lot of difference at all. Um, I think you, you, being that your organization is a lot older, you have better structure. Uh, you have better, um, more ingrained programs than our uh, our Grand Lodge does. and. The fact that a lot of our lodges have a lot of younger members. Uh, we military was is the thrust behind uh, most of the lodges that uh, Washington jurisdiction oversees, or I should say, all of them. Uh, it's the military that's really uh, uh, in in Germany um, between Washington and Oklahoma. You know, there are a few other. Uh, jurisdictions over there, but Washington, Oklahoma, and I would say the third one would be Maryland. Jurisdictions are the Prince Hall Grand Lodges who are really heavy over in those areas. And I don't know if the mainstream lodges have any uh, overseas lodges. I don't know if that. I think it's relatively I uncommon. I know New York, for some reason, claims like yes, New Lebanon, York. I think. Yes, <laughs> New York like does have a, a lodge in, in, different, in an overseas uh but I, I don't know of too many other mainstream lodges who have overseas. Yeah, I think it's relatively uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, it's a, a little teaser for what we'll talk about in our next episode. <laughs> uh, as I think it's about time to wrap it up. So um, 
on behalf of myself and, and Steve and David, I want to thank you, uh, Most Worshipful Brother Julius, for, for coming on the show this evening today. And uh, we we'll look forward to seeing you all again next time on the Working Tools Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.